Today we're going to wrap up our series that we started on Easter called And So It Begins, that resurrected life, no matter what you're going through or where you are, that new life uh, that God has for us. And today we're going to talk about emotions a little bit. So I'm going to start with this question, very common question. So how you doing? We got one good. <laughs> a mediocre great over there. All right. I've probably asked that question 200 times today. I've been asked that question 200 times today. It's just a normal question we ask, right? It's very polite. It's courteous. How you doing? We may or may not care about the answer, but we ask, how you doing? And typically the answer comes back, I'm doing good. You know, some people might say, hey, great, right? Never better. Uh, Some people might say, I'm doing okay. And you know, there's just something there they're dealing with, right? Somebody gave me um, an answer today, uh, which is an unusual, but you know, there's something there when they say, I'm hanging in. That means there's something really tough going on, and they're leaking that out by saying, I'm hanging in. And some people, if they're really in a desperate time, would say, I'm not doing so great. In that case, you rally the troops, because if somebody says, I'm not doing great, to the question, how you doing, they're in crisis, right? And you've got to mobilize the troops around them. But really, when we're asking that question that we all ask, the, the essential point is, how are you feeling? We want to know how you're feeling, because feelings, how we feel in any given moment, really determines the quality of life. If we say, hey, I'm feeling great, life is great. If we say I'm feeling okay, life is okay. If we say I'm I'm not feeling so good, life isn't so good. How we feel really determines the quality of life. Our emotions in large part determine the quality of life. It's that simple. It is that simple. Now, some people might say, well, the quality of life, you know, isn't it about the American dream? And, And we have the American dream. What is the American dream? Earn money, buy stuff. That's the American dream. That's what we're all shooting for, right? Good grades, good college, good job, good money, good stuff. I mean, that's, that's America, right? Well, does that mean we're automatically feeling good if that's what we experience? No. I mean, you know people who have a lot of stuff, have a lot of things, have good bank accounts, but still they're not doing well emotionally. Some people would say, hey, circumstances are what makes us feel good. If things are going well, then I'm going to feel good. Well, that's not true. How many people that you know, things in life are going okay, but they're still not feeling right? Or as we, uh, in a couple of weeks, celebrate what our young people have done all over the world, they're going to come back, particularly those who have gone overseas for the first time, and they're going to be shocked because they will experience absolute poverty. They will experience people that have terrible circumstances, and they will be surprised because they'll say many of them are still happy. So it's not about our money. It's not about our lifestyle. It's not about our circumstance. Some people might say, well, it's about the family life. If the family is good, then we're going to feel good. Well, not necessarily true. I know a lot of people who have solid family lives, but they're still not feeling right. Still not feeling right. So let's personalize this a little deeper. How are you feeling right now? Don't tell anybody, but just honestly to yourself, how are you feeling? How's the quality of your life based on your emotional experience? About half of you, if statistics bear out here in this auditorium, about half of you will genuinely be feeling good and feeling happy, and you'll feel good about your quality of life. But half of you, regardless of circumstances, half of you will say, you know what, if I were to be honest, I'm not feeling good right now, and my quality of life is not stellar right now because of how I feel. It's about half of you. Our emotions are central to what it is to be human. Our emotions are a gift from God, truly what sets humanity apart from the animals. We're made in God's image, and so we feel as God feels. If you look at Scripture as sort of a a menu of emotions, 
you will see the menu of God's emotions is the exact same as the menu of our emotions. We're made in God's image. God is a triune God. God is relational. God knows good and evil. So he has all the emotions of relationship. He has all the emotions of good and evil. And he gave that to us as a gift. We are emotional creatures. We are actually centered on our emotions. So how our emotions go, so goes our life. Not how our circumstances go, how our emotions go, so goes our life. The Bible talks about this constantly. In fact, over a thousand times in the Bible is the word heart, right? Heart. And that really is the center of our emotions. In Greek, it's the word cardia. Over a thousand times in the Bible, as the heart goes, so goes our life, right? In ancient times, the heart was considered to be the center of our being. Now, follow the logic here. Keep in mind, this is ancient times, between two and 3,000 years ago. And so as they're trying to figure out what makes up a human being, they noticed a few things. They noticed that there is this organ uh, in the most protected part of the body, in the chest behind the sternum, there's this organ that pumps. And when that stops pumping, there's no life. So this idea of the heart emerged. The heart is the center of a person. And they noticed, again, ancient times, they don't have modern science, but in ancient times, they noticed that that heart is in the center of the person literally. They also noticed that if you start running, something will happen. So if I ran from here to the back wall, what would happen to my heart? It won't stop. <laughs> It'll be faster, right? Now, what if I'm standing perfectly still and some joker worship team person scares the bejesus out of me? Ah! I'm standing perfectly still, but what will happen to my heart? It'll start pumping. So they noticed that the heart pumped both with physical motion and emotional motion is where emotion comes from, right? So the heart is the center of the being. So when ancient writers use the word heart, it's talking about the center of who we are physically and emotionally. That's why Proverbs 15, 13 says this, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. The heart really is the barometer of how we're doing in all of life. If we are aching, all of life aches, but the heart allows us also to experience cheer as well, joy and pleasure, right? The heart, our cardia, our emotional reality is the very center of how we experience life itself, whether we're cheerful or crushed or anywhere in between. And some of you might say, I'm cheerful. Others of you might say, I am honestly emotionally crushed. Others of you, you're right in the middle. You're like, eh, not great, but not horrible. Thanks for asking. So if emotions are so central to the human existence, if emotions really are the center of the quality of life that we get to experience, here's a question we probably should answer. Why do we feel what we feel? Why do we feel what we feel? We're going to answer that today. Why do we feel what we feel? I'm going to warn you, the answer does not sound very spiritual and it's not very sexy, but it's true. Genetics. Far and away, the number one reason why we feel what we feel. Now, I know it's not very spiritual. I know our emotions in some religious contexts are tied to the spirit, spiritual warfare, demonic attack, the devil's attack. I mean, we all kinds of stuff out there, right? The reality is, by God's design, we feel what we feel because of genetics. That is by far and away the number one reason. We are wired to feel. It's a unique characteristic of being human. As we've said, made in God's image, we experience what God experiences, which is emotion, all the emotion of life. But we also need emotion to survive. 
We need a motion to survive. If there's a lion that is running at 35 miles an hour, ready to separate us from our carotid artery, we better feel something right there. If we're super chill at that, we're gone. So we are wired genetically to feel. Adrenaline just pumps through our body based on what we perceive, so we feel fear and we zowdy, right? We gotta get away. We need it to survive. Emotions are chemical reactions. Ooh, that just sounds so stale. But it is so true. Emotions are chemical reactions. That's what they are. We perceive, chemicals react, we feel. That's emotions. In fact, I could prove it to you outright. Emotions are so tied to chemicals that you can take chemicals right now and feel something totally different. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you, you know, did you bring a flask to church? You're gonna, you can feel real good real quick. Did you bring a brownie to church, first Sunday brownies? You can feel real good real quick. Psychotropic drugs, you can feel, real, or illicit drugs, you can feel something different right now because it's just a chemical. It's just a chemical. In fact, there's a gene. There's a gene variant, ADRA2B. It's a gene variant in a minority of the population. If we possess that gene, we feel things more deeply and we remember emotions more powerfully. It creates a lot of trauma for people who experience something negative, emotionally traumatic. If you have that gene variant, you are gonna feel so much more deeply and the lingering effects are gonna be much longer. The race that has that gene more than any other race on earth is Caucasians, which believe me, explains a lot. <laughs> explains a lot. Now, I used to think, before I had kids and before the advent of modern, you know, the Human Genome Project, I used to think that our emotions were driven mostly by environment. Then I had kids. I had twins, fraternal twins. So these are two boys that have lived in the same environment their entire lives. They were born emotionally radically different. One was born freaking out. I mean freaking out, constantly freaking out. We're talking about this little baby, beat red, arched back, writhing, screaming, ah, the world's coming to an end. And his twin brother is the chillest human alive, just hanging out, watching his brother freaking out. Dude, what's your problem? Chill out, bro. It's not that bad. Twins, same environment, totally different emotional makeup. Uh, mental illness is largely genetic. In fact, the more research is done into mental illness, the more it's just chemicals. It's genetic. And that brings a lot of freedom to people. So because people who, who struggled with uh, mental illness, about a third of the population has some form of mental illness. It used to be you were weird, you were odd, you were weak. Who knows what was happening? Spiritually under attack, whatever it was, right? Now the world is saying it's a medical problem. Let's tackle it as a medical problem. That brings so much freedom to people, right? When we realize it's just chemicals. But they're chemicals that I believe are wired uniquely by God, right? We all have a different external makeup. We all have a different internal makeup. So I'm gonna uh, chart my emotions for you. You ready? First of all, science says there's 34,000 possible emotions, 34,000. I'm gonna chart 12 of them in my own life and, and you, know, you can chart your own if you want. But let's just, um, let's just work this chart here. Between sad and joy, I'm kind of in the middle, clicked a little bit towards joy. I'm not a person who feels very deeply. My emotions are pretty, very moderate. Some would say too moderate. So I'm kind of moderate emotionally. I might click towards joy. I don't 
experienced a lot of sadness. With anger, same thing. I'm pretty moderate emotionally, so I'm kind of in the center there. I don't really feel anger much at all, but I'm not over-the-top, affectionate, gooey, so I'm just kind of, you know, clicked toward affection. When it comes to stress or peace, I am off-the-chart peace. I'm out that door peace. I don't experience stress. I've never lost a night of sleep in my life over anything. It doesn't, doesn't matter what's going on. I don't experience stress. You might think, oh, well, that's good and freeing, unless you're married. And your wife says, I don't think you care about anything. <laughs> to which I say, I don't have to freak out to show I care. Okay, I'm getting real personal here. Uh, negative to positive, right? There are some people that say the glass is half empty and some people that say the glass is half full. I just say the glass is half and wonder why people have to look at things negatively or positively. It's like this, just, it's half, so what, right? Let's move on, let's analyze it and move on. That's, that's me. Stoic, I am very, very stoic. Again, not, not emotionally, uh, you know, high on any level. Pretty stoic and pretty contemplative, just kind of introspective, contemplative. I'm not passionate and not jovial about much. My dad is passion and jovial, right? So that's my dad and I'm over here. So we're all, we all just have a different wiring. We just have different wiring and that's okay. My wiring is neither good nor bad. There's some things about my emotional wiring that have some positive qualities. There are things about my emotional wiring that have some problems, right? And that's just me. We all have different external wiring and different internal wiring and that is totally fine. How are you wired? How would you chart yourself? Totally embrace that. That's your very good and wonderful and perfect wiring that's uniquely yours. No more self-hate. We can look at ourselves in the mirror, look at our outward bodies, and there's some things we can nitpick and, and all that stuff, and, and we self-hate. We can look at our internal wiring, and there's some things that we can nitpick, and, I, and believe me, there have been times where I wish I was more kind of passionate and jovial. I have some good friends of mine who, uh, you know, they walk into a room, they're the life of the party, everybody looks at them, gathers around them, and they're having a good old time after about 35 seconds. And I'm the guy kind of at the perimeter just hanging out. You know, I have a few one-on-one -on -one conversations, and that's, that's me. So there's been times I wish I was this, but I've got to embrace who I am and how God has wired me and be really good with that because there's a good contribution I can make to this world, good contribution you can make to this world, right? I love how Psalm 139 puts it. Get this. The psalmist says, for you, God created my inmost being. That's who I am on the inside, my heart, my emotions. God, you created that. Now let's listen to the heart of God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. No more, no more self-hate. I'm wired a certain way physically. I'm wired a certain way emotionally, and I love it because God loves it, and God created me uniquely and wonderfully. So much freedom comes as a result of that. So a lot of our emotions are based on genetics, simply how we're wired, how God created us. Uh, secondly, our emotions are uh, wired by circumstance. Circumstance. This is a very minor part of our emotional makeup. Uh, so we're born with a certain emotional makeup and then we experience life. We experience life and it's good things and bad things and neutral things and that has an impact on us emotionally, but not nearly as powerfully as our repeated reactions to those circumstances. That shapes our emotions Big time. Not quite as much as genetics, but this is second place. How we react to emotions, how we choose to react to emotions really uh, determines our emotional patterns. It's sort of like um, building muscle, right? Uh, look around this auditorium, you are very fit, fit as a fiddle. Why are you guys all so fit, looking really good? Well, because you work out hard, right? And you're working out those muscles and so you're super swole, right? 
You've got those muscles because you did the same thing over and over and over again. You built that muscle. Emotions are like a muscle. If you keep giving yourself to react to emotions the same way over and over again, that emotion is going to be built up powerfully. Sometimes it's for the good. If you have you know, empathy and you are working empathy and you really feel for other people and you become more caring as a result, um, I, I have to be honest, I am not wired for empathy because I'm kind of stoic and because my you know, emotion is kind of flat. Uh, I, I'm not wired for empathy, yet I'm a pastor. That's a problem. And I knew that, and I had to, early in my youth ministry years, I just said to myself, I've got to run into tragedy and run into hurt and run into pain and be there, right? And so I've had to work on that, and that builds up the, the muscle of, of empathy. On a negative side, people who are prone to anger, for example, that anger can be a muscle. So let's just say, hypothetically, not that this is true in my own family, just pretend that there's one of your four kids that is clumsy and drops everything and breaks everything. Right? Just pretend that happens. Now, if you're wired to anger, when that happens time and time and time again, and you react in anger, what's your problem? Why are you such a clutch? And you build that muscle. Now you become angry as a habit. Then you become a person of rage, and you're just creating harm. Right? It's like a muscle. It's like a muscle. Proverbs 29.11 says this. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. In other words, we have a choice what we do with our emotions. We have a choice with what we do with our emotions. When the emotions come, and they come, and the, the, the initial emotion is not really controllable, but what we do next is very controllable. Not easy, but it's controllable. Are we going to just let rage vent, or are we going to choose the wiser and to bring calm, to bring calm? Proverbs 16, 32, better is he who rules his spirit than one who takes a city. Back in ancient times, the hero was the general who took over a city, right? The, the, the wisdom here says the real hero is the one who rules his spirit. He doesn't let his emotions or her emotions just go. You tame your emotions. You channel your emotions so that the repeated patterns become healthy and the emo emotional strength becomes healthy. So that's why we feel what we feel. It is genetics, a little bit of circumstance, but our patterns of reaction. So the question we're gonna end with is how can we then master our emotions? If we now know why we feel what we feel, how do we master our emotions so that our emotions don't master us? I'm gonna give you three itties. You ready for three itties? Objectivity, positivity, and maturity. Those three itties will allow us to be masters of our emotion. I just wanna just put a little teaser in your brain, how cool would it be for you to be the master of your emotions? You are the king or queen of your emotions. You rule them. They do not rule you. Imagine that kind of life. It is available to you with these three itties. Let's talk about objectivity. Objectivity. This is making an object out of your emotions. Now, this is not easy. This is not easy. But it's about living the reason-emotion balance the reason-emotion balance, what we might call the head and the heart. Since we're talking about the head and the heart, I actually brought with me a brain and a heart. I hope you're not squeamish, children. Children, cover your eyes. Ugh. All right. <laughs> brain and the heart. 
This makes up our inmost <laughs> being. So this is, this is who we are. This is, this is who we are. We're head and we're heart. If we are all head, right, we just reason objectively, run through life analytically, we're going to be a person of no heart, no empathy, no love, no care. We're just analyzing ourselves and everybody's going to think, what is your problem? If we're all heart, we're unthinking and we're just driven by passion and we're going to do a lot of stupid stuff, right? So real personal health and thriving is about balancing the head and the heart. Not too, too driven by passion, not too driven by analytics, right? The head and the heart. Now, we know how to objectify our thoughts. We're good at it, right? Head and heart, we know how to objectify our thoughts. As I was prepping this message, let's say four days ago, I had to come up with an example of what it means to objectify a thought, and the song Pink Fluffy Unicorns Riding on Rainbows entered my head. It's an actual song, Pink Fluffy Unicorns Riding on Rainbows. Um, for whatever reason, our school executive director sent me that Spotify link and I played it and that song is haunting me ever since. I showed it to my daughter as a joke. So what does she do when she wants to harass dad? She brings in a little Spotify and plays it and runs away because she knows I'm going to go insane. You could, you could research it, but do not. I'm telling you, save yourself. So that song has been in my head, right, for four days. But I could put that song over here. It doesn't define me. The madness of that song doesn't define me. I've objectified it. And I know one day that thought, that song is going to fade off into my memory just in time for Aubrey to come in again and play it for me. So we can objectify thoughts. And we have thoughts all the time. We have some good thoughts that, hey, that's a good idea. Let's do that. We have weird thoughts. Ew, what's that? We have kind of twisted thoughts. But we can put our thoughts in an, in an objectified category. We are not identified by the thoughts that come in and out of our brain. Make sense? Nod your head if it makes sense. It's hard to do that with our emotions. It's hard to objectify our emotions because emotions are all consuming. They're all encompassing, right? I feel sad. I'm sad. That's how we speak. I'm sad. It identifies all of us. And, and when we say things like, I am sad, we've identified ourselves by our emotions. To objectify our emotions mean, means we do with our emotions what we do with our thoughts. And we rip them out of our chest and we hold them out here. And we say, no, I feel sad. I'm not sad. I feel sad. Do you see the difference? Pink fluffy unicorns come and go. Right? I can handle that. Sadness comes. Sadness may go. Or it may just diminish. Or it may come on heavy. But it's, it's a thing out here that's happening to me. It's not who I am. It's an object. It's a thing that is happening to me. It is not me. So whether we feel fear, anxiety, sadness, hate, guilt, grief, bitterness, worry, whatever it is that we feel, hold it appropriately, right? Hold it away from who you are and it's something that you're experiencing. That's why I think there's gonna be so much freedom to the rancho world when we think and know emotions are chemicals and they're and they're built on reactive memory, we can sort of objectify that. Why am I feeling the way I feel? Well, it's a chemical reaction and life experience and, and previous reactions. I'm gonna hold it out here. It's not gonna define me. I'm gonna take ownership of this thing, right? With our brain, rip our heart out of our chest so that we can process through that emotion. I love the way Galatians 5 puts it. This is the fruit of the spirit, right? Fruit of the spirit. 
The fruit of the Spirit is, is all about being centered on God's love, centered on God's grace, and this invitation to really li- live a centered life, a well-balanced life. The fruit of the Spirit, a lot of emotion in here, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control, that means that we have objectified our feelings. We're not driven by our feelings. A lack of self-control is somebody who's driven by emotion. That's, I mean, end of the story. I'm angry, therefore I do angry things. I'm sad, therefore I retreat, I pull back, I, you know, whatever. Self-control is when we separate the emotions from who we are and we can properly deal with them. All those emotions are real. All those emotions are powerful, absolutely powerful. All emotions are healthy if properly held. But if we identify ourselves by those emotions, we're lost. And we can be crushed under the weight of them. This sounds great, so how do we actually do this? How do we actually objectify our emotions? Well, we can use reason to objectify our emotions. We can use reason to objectify our emotions. Feelings are just a thing. Feelings are just a thing. Feelings are just chemical reactions. Don't overly spiritualize it. Don't overly overly internalize it. I am sad. I am mad. No, we are experiencing an emotion that is happening to us, right? And we will gain control over it. So uh, work through that, process through it. Using reason, self-talk through your emotions. Self-talk through your emotions. Let's go back to the clumsy kid who breaks everything. Kid breaks another plate, just whoops, breaks another plate, right? I have a propensity towards anger. I have a pattern of anger. You're this, you're that, you don't care, pouring in hurt. Well, now we're gonna use reason and we're gonna kind of back off of that and we're gonna self-talk our way through that. Okay, what's the problem? The problem is we have a kid who might be a little bit klutzy, probably a little careless that needs to be corrected. Not pain for pain, which is what a lot of parents do. Pain for pain. You made me feel a certain way like you don't care, so I'm gonna make you feel like I don't care. And then we're even, right? As this eight-year-old is, you know, crying. We're gonna use self-talk to, to, to become masters over that emotion. What's the problem? The problem is he's dropping plates. How do we do that? You drop a plate, I'm gonna control that anger, and we're gonna say, hey bud, you broke something again, you gotta clean it up. But there's paschetti and whatever, okay. You go to the, here's the broom, here's the mop, you're gonna clean that up all by yourself. I'll be watching you while I'm eating dinner, and I'm gonna help you with some verbal cues, but you're cleaning that bad boy up. And by the way, you owe me three bucks. We have three dollar plates. You owe me three bucks. And after you're done cleaning up, we're gonna just talk together how you're gonna repay that $3. You can work it off, you can give me your allowance, then we're gonna go down to the store together and we're gonna buy a whole behind load of plates because you keep breaking those bad boys. And you're gonna clean up after yourself every time and you're gonna pay for it every time. That's not, you're now correcting the behavior using your head instead of raging with your emotions. Another thing that's helpful to objectifying emotions is to talk, just talk to people about your emotions. It is so helpful. This idea of internalizing emotions is a real deal. You internalize it, it goes nowhere. It's hard to help ourselves through emotions. We gotta talk to people. I love what my wife is doing lately. I'm kind of bragging on her through this series. She just does so well through these subjects. She's been saying quite a bit over the last couple, three weeks, you know, I'm I'm feeling sad. She'll say like, I'm having a sad day, having a sad morning, and we'll just talk through it a little bit but she's verbalizing it, and it is so incredibly healthy. And, and one of the reasons why she's sad is because we have these twin boys that are graduating from high school. 
It's a big moment for us. I mean, as parents, we're just looking at, we got one in college already, and we got kind of a runner-up for sure. That's tons of fun. But we have these, these boys, and, and a lot of our life has been revolved around, revolving around their world and athletics and school and friends. It's been a, it's been a blast, absolute blast. And they're bailing. And they're going to two different colleges. We've been talking for years. Will they choose the same college? They've been together every moment, every day, since nine months before birth. Are they going to choose two different colleges? And, and just to watch them kind of work through that dynamic of going to two different colleges. And, and then we're making some big life decisions as well, right in the middle of this whole thing. You know, not moving out of town, not getting another job. So sorry to disappoint you guys, but, but some big life decisions, some weighty things. And she's just being very honest. At times in her day, she feels sad. And we just talk it through, kind of adjust some things around it, but it's very healthy. It's healthy to talk through these things because as we talk through those things, our feelings can change. By talking with people, feelings can actually change, right? That's why we go to counselors. We go to a counselor. We have Safe Harbor Counseling right here upstairs, right? It, because we talk to people, our feelings can change. Uh, I'm halfway decent at guiding people through change of feelings. Uh, in fact, I, I love it. Uh, people come to me and they are just completely racked with sorrow, you know, just through careful conversation, asking a few questions, kind of redirect that sorrow and, and get them in a better emotional place and then a little bit of a plan. Somebody comes to me just filled with rage and anger, just 15 minutes, talk through a couple questions, redirect and a little bit of a plan. You know, somebody's just ready to whatever with their family, same thing, 15 minutes, redirect the emotions a little bit, come up with a plan, right? Some people are, are good at that. So, some pastors are, some counselors are, uh, chaplains, school counselors, whatever. It's so helpful to talk that through. But what that does is it absolutely proves, and I want you to get it, because other people can help us redirect emotions, it absolutely proves that emotions are not in control. If we can talk to somebody for 15 minutes and they can redirect our emotions, that means emotions are not permanent. That means emotions are not in control. So getting help to objectify those emotions and change those emotions is possible. It's also helpful for us to work some personal processes as well. So we've talk, talked about objectifying emotions, now we'll talk about positivity. There's objectivity and then there's positivity. Now this is simply positive thinking. And I know you might think, well that's kind of cliche. It's cliche for sure, but I'm telling you, it works like a charm. Positive thinking works like a charm. Some people are wired for positive thinking, like 2%. It's, a, it's the most rare thing. It's incredible. There's some people that are just walking through life. Oh, that's good. Hey, sunshine and great. Oh, it's not too hot out there. 104 is perfect, right? I mean, they're just positive people. A lot of people are wired towards negativity. Even though things are going real well around them, they've got, you know, some health. They've got food to eat. They live in Temecula, California. They're going to find that negative thing. Even though it's three blocks down the road on the left, buried, you know, five feet under the ground, they're going to find it, pull it out, and talk about it all day and ruin everybody else's life as a result. There's a bunch of people who are prone towards negativity. Now, those people tend to be problem solvers and very organized. There's some good things that come as a result of that. The super positive people tend to be pretty irresponsible. So keep in mind, there's positives and negatives and everything, Right? But to just have a discipline of thinking positively is wonderful. And I'm going to show you Philippians 4. Steve uh, referenced this last week. Real quick, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, this is in the context of a little word on prayer. It is so helpful to pray 
positively. And by that, do not confuse this with claiming, God, I'm gonna claim that you're gonna do something positive for my life, therefore it's gonna happen. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about the anti of that. Positive prayers are saying, God, I'm gonna tell you the reasons why I'm thankful for you. Thank you for your love, for your grace. Thanks for the cross of Christ that forgives me. Thank you for uh, heaven, eternal life. Thank you for walking with me, for being there, for never leaving me. I mean, you could do 10 minutes just thanking God for who he is. And then you can turn and just thank God for all that you get to experience, all the people around you by name. Thank God for all the people around you. Thank God for job, for food, for house, for your community. Just, you can do 20 minutes of just positively thanking God for who he is and, and what you get to experience in this life. And the discipline of positivity will radically shape your emotions. And you'll, get, you'll become a master of those emotions. This isn't just a personal discipline, it's a corporate discipline. Psalm uh, 48.9, together, within your temple, just replace that with church. At church, oh God, we meditate on your unfailing love. It's not just about a personal discipline of positivity. It's about gathering together and together experiencing something very positive that's why, I mean, I know this sounds a little, you know, whatever, but going to church on a regular basis is a really good thing. Not, not because you're checking off some religious checkbox. Who cares about that? You know how much we disdain that. It's not a religious checkbox. It's a, a gathering of a positive community around the very positive things that God is doing, around God's unfailing love. Rancho Church gets a little bit of flack out there for being too grace-based. I'm like, uh, is there such a thing? I mean, if you guys want to just be in religious circles, talking about the negative all the time, knock yourself out. This is really what we're about. Together as God's temple, meditating, focusing on God's unfailing love. Every song we sing, God's unfailing love and his grace, right? His presence in our life, the positive thing that he gets us, that he, that he, that he allows us to have. And then we get to experience that together as a family of faith. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So it's about objectivity, positivity, and lastly, maturity. Maturity. God calls us to next level emotional maturity. Now walk with me. I know it's lunchtime. I need, I need, I need four minutes. You ready? Next level emotional maturity. Uh, psychologists say that when we're between the ages of six and nine, we experience something called concrete consciousness. Concrete consciousness. That's when the rules of life start to solidify and become understandable. So for example, by the time you're about nine years old, the rules of acceptable social behavior are pretty well understood. A two-year-old will scream and writhe in the aisle of Walmart, but a nine-year-old will likely not scream and writhe in the aisle of Walmart. Why? Because they understand by nine that there are socially acceptable rules. By the time they're nine, they understand basically authority and laws, what governs certain rooms, whether it's education or government, they understand that. By the time they're nine, they understand the rules about how society is structured. Who's responsible for what to make a whole society function? By the time they're nine, they understand the rules about working and money and buying. They understand that dynamic. By the time they're nine, they understand the rules about what God wants. For better or for worse, they are raised in a religious environment and by the time they're nine, they get, okay, God wants this, 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 and this. Most of that's bad and dysfunctional, but at least they understand kind of the religious rules. Now, most people emotionally stay nine years old. Hear me on this. Some would say up to 90% of people stay emotionally nine years old, rules-based. How are things supposed to work? And if things work the way they're supposed to work, 
I'll be emotionally good. If things do not work the way the rules say they should work, I'll be emotionally a wreck. I'll give you a few examples. What's the rule when the red street light turns into a green street light? What's the rule? You go. But then there's the person texting. And the rule isn't working. The light's green, but they're stopped and you're behind them. We can't handle that. Ah, the injustice, the humanity, it's green. The rule says, go, why aren't you going? <laughs> I work hard, I should get paid better. I work hard, I should get paid better. Well, here's your raise. Well, that's not the raise I want, and I got passed up for, for, for the promotion. Ah, we're emotional wrecks. A husband should be thoughtful and put family first, and this is what he should do as a result. And when that rule doesn't work, ah, my husband's a <laughs> My wife should support me and meet my needs, and this is what I'm talking about. And when that doesn't happen, she's a I'm a good person. Good things should happen to good people, right? Doesn't always work like that. And we don't know how to emotionally handle it when the rules aren't cleanly worked out because we're emotionally nine. I don't say that to be condescending. I say that to simply state that there's a whole, what I would call a spiritual journey to emotional maturity. And that means we get past the rules. We don't expect the rules to work. And we live on a whole new paradigm. It's actually a paradigm of love. It's a next level maturity. Next level maturity doesn't need to live by rules. Galatians 2.20 says this, and this is all in the context of rules. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's no longer about me. But Christ lives in me. That's next level maturity is Christ living in me. The maturity of Christ is increasingly who I am. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. My North Star is not in working the rules of life for my benefit. The North Star is the love of Christ. He gave his life. He gave his life on a cross to pay for my sins. Life is now defined by love, not rules. Get this. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through rules, Christ died for nothing. It's no longer about the rules. Whatever you expect in life, good things happen to good people. I should get that raise. Green light means go. The obsession with the rules, we die to that and we live in a whole new worldview. It's a worldview of love and grace. Love and grace. Christ-like next level maturity lives by grace, not by rules. That's why when asked what's the most important rule in life, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, there it is, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and similarly, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a whole new way of living. It's a whole new worldview. And that worldview will lead us to emotional maturity, next level emotional maturity. God, would you give us the capacity to love and to focus on loving? And if we are, we will master our emotions. We will be in charge and it will be under God's love that we live. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for our journey together. There's a, an awful lot here uh, in terms of why we feel the way we feel. You wired us wonderfully. You wired us uniquely. You gave us the gift of being made in your image to, to feel what you feel, 
It is a wonderful gift. All the emotions are wonderful gifts. But God, if we allow uh, the heart to master us, some of those emotions will rule us. We will be ruled by sadness or anger or anxieties. God, I ask that you would have us all on a journey to master our emotions by love and grace. God, for those that are um, suffering with mental illness, clinical depression and anxiety, I thank you that we are now understanding that this is medical and chemical and can be treated and should be treated. I pray that people who are really suffering will get all the help they need by uh, counseling, by therapy from their doctor. For those who are um, just more mastered by their emotions, anger, sadness, bitterness, fear, I pray that, that they would take these biblical truths and step by step, starting to objectify their feelings, not being defined by those feelings, uh, talking through them, working through them, and above all, centering our lives on your love and grace towards us. If we center our lives on love and grace and not just not just being a victim of rules or pushing forward rules, but just taking great rest and great peace and how much you love us through Christ, you'll lead us on a journey of being very healthy in every way, having that quality of life that Jesus said when he calls us to that abundant life. I pray that for us all in Christ's name, amen.